And I got a call from NBF telling me, listen, you can't do that. I said, the heck I can't. I just did. You're reading it. everybody welcome back to another recording of the labor thoughts podcast uh today i am also not joined by uh mr chuck kelly i have uh, two very special guests with me and we're going to be talking about a topic that's been pretty hot lately uh if you haven't had a chance to see the reason that i'm going to tell you in a minute why we're recording this it happens to be per diems. Um, we've put out some publications on them recently. I've probably answered, I don't know, a million emails on them. Kevin, I see him smiling down there. He's probably got a million and one. We've been hearing about per diems a lot and kind of all of the issues that surround those. So in a response to that and you know, coupled with the resources that we've put out, we also recorded a podcast, we being uh, Jeff Fagan, general counsel for NECA and myself, where we kind of got into a little bit of the nitty gritty of how improper per diems could cause you some issues with your payroll and with, you know, with your jobs and things like that. And when that podcast went out, one of our guests here was watching it and came up with an idea and some of his own questions of, well, how does this impact your benefits? How does it impact things like NEBF and NEEP? And anytime we have a NEBF or NEEP question, uh, we get the gentleman uh, on your screen to my uh, left here, but I'm guessing he's on my right, depending on how cameras flip images, Larry Bradley, to join in and uh, give us some commentary as well. So. You guys are in for a treat today. We have uh, Kevin Ty, the Vice President of Labor Relations and Field Services for NECA, and Larry Bradley, who I affectionately refer to as the guru of all things NEBF, NEEP, and FMCP. I know that's not your official title, but I really like it, Larry. How about we just dive right in? So we talked about in the last podcast of per diems, and I'll give you a quick refresher of per diem is a stipend essentially paid to an employee when they're proper. It covers things like meals, hotels, you know, in anything incidental to travel. It can't exceed the amount that's put in place by the uh, federal government, which can be found on gsa.gov. And typically they're proper when the individual sleeps away from their home. If you can't tick all of those boxes, you find yourself in the improper per diem territory. And when you land in that territory is when you start creating a lot of problems. I just summed up a about a 40 minute podcast in that uh, little bit of a blurb yeah. there. What I will say is if you're only listening to these, we do have a video component. And when you are watching the video component, we do have resources that come on the screen for you to refer to as well. I have talked quite a bit here and I have not let my guests uh, say anything yet. So I'm going to kick it to them just to give a uh, chance to kind of briefly introduce themselves. I know I've already said their titles, but to kind of give uh, just a few words as to why they're here today. So Kevin, would you like to say some, a few things? Thanks. Thanks, Ryan. appreciate it. We've been watching these, these Labored Thoughts podcasts go on now. Uh, that you and Chuck started up and takes two of us now with Larry and I to try and replace Chuck. Uh, I know Jeff tried it and we'll try it too. So uh, everyone in the industry knows Chuck. I've I've known him for 30 some years as well. And he was the go-to guy forever and, and we do miss him, but we're certainly happy to have you, Ryan, with us now. Uh, you're certainly filling those shoes and we appreciate everything you're doing with that. The main part of what, what I want to bring up today, and we'll get into that, is we talked in the previous podcast, you and Jeff Fagan talked about the tax consequences and the overtime consequences of improper per diems. And what popped in my mind listening to that very informative 
podcast. And if you were at this podcast and you haven't heard the previous one, I recommend you put pause on this one, go hear the other one. I think it was about a 30 minute podcast and filled with lots of great information. But what we want to talk today about is the next step is, is how, how other things are affected by these per diems. Are they legit per diems, proper, improper per diems, and how that affects benefits? So that was my whole goal to wrestle Larry Bradley in with us. Larry is is the guru in all things on benefits. Uh, let him introduce himself, but we appreciate Larry being here today. Hey, Kevin, thank you. Ryan, thank you so much for having me today. Oh, by the way, I'm the uh, executive secretary treasurer of the NBF and NEEP, and I would like to address the impact of per diem on both of those funds because it's very different. And one is controlled nationally, one is controlled locally. And I'll, I'll, I'll be glad to get into that right now, if you wish. Absolutely. Well, why don't we just uh, dive right in? I know uh, NEBF has put out some material on this before. So if you don't mind maybe referencing that a little bit, but let's say we are, if we find ourselves in a scenario where an employer is paying, we're going to assume a proper per diem. It's legitimate according to the law. Um, it's either required in the agreement or it's not required in the agreement, but they're paying it according to all of those requirements I talked about a minute ago. What does NEBF say about that? The short answer is we do not require contributions to NEBF in that scenario. More than just a few years ago, as I'll call it the last time that we saw per diems really explode across the country, the NEBF trustees went to work on that to say, all right, what do we do? How do we treat it? Because we, we do audits of employers. It's required by the Department of Labor. And frankly, we audit about roughly 10% of our entire employer population each year. It's fine. But what we were tripping over was finding these per diems and a variety of ways they're paid. In a nutshell, let me tell you what NEBF trustees did. We already have, and I'll point you to, it's called the gross labor payroll definition which we've published periodically to the street. We call it NECA, IBW, uh, employers. And it kind of delineates the rules of what is included to be contributed on in NEBF and what is excluded. And of course, it's easier to talk about the exclusion. So let me tell you, originally we had three and only three exclusions. And that would be you don't have to pay NEBF on the value of a non-cash fringe benefit, i.e. company provides you with a truck or a vehicle or a cell phone, anything that's non-cash fringe, you don't pay on that value for NEBF 3%. You do not pay on that. Bonafide contributions to another trust fund, for example, your local welfare, your local annuity, your local JTC, those funds, those payments are excluded also and not required to carry the 3% NEBF contribution. And the third one up until recently was extraordinary bonuses. They use the word extraordinary to mean it's, let's call the best way to describe it is give you examples. It's a a year-end bonus. It's a holiday bonus. It's a job-ending bonus. It's not a bonus that's paid with any regularity in the payroll cycle. For example, there could be a safety bonus paid monthly or an attendance bonus. Those are regular part of payroll. They're not extraordinary. You would have to pay on those. But extraordinary bonus, again, job-end, year-end, holiday they are excluded from the NEVF 3% obligation. Now the trustees, a few years back, dove into this per diem issue because it was becoming messy. And what they decided, and kind of the way you framed it, Ryan, is is what the the path they took. They said, first of all, if the per diem appears in a collective bargaining agreement as a requirement under that contract, it is excluded from the NEVF contribution, no payment for NEVF on that. 
if it's not in the CBA, but the employer does follow the IRS guidelines that you referred to a little while ago, i.e., they can demonstrate that the per diem was paid for sleeping away from home, for a reimbursement for meals or hotel, et cetera, i.e., following the IRS guideline, that too is excluded, and the, the contractors are not required to pay 3% NEBF on that. And again, this is always in an audit scenario where if NEBF is exposed to this. So we're auditing a contractor, and let's say none of the above is applicable. But if the contractor can otherwise demonstrate to the auditor that, look, this genuinely was a reimbursement for expenses made by that person, my employee, if they can demonstrate that somehow, we'll exclude it in that scenario as well. The trustees wanted to drill deep on this to provide the ability for contractors to not have the burden if it's real per diem. And we took those three steps in the contract, following the IRS to the letter, or otherwise can demonstrate that it is truly a reimbursement, i.e. per diem, we would exclude the NEBF contribution requirement. Now, Larry, on that exclusion, on the on the real reimbursement, you don't live by the guidelines on the gsa.gov site in terms of the limitations of what a per diem reimbursement can be, correct? Correct. Okay, so that could be a $400 a day type thing, but if it's legit, it's legit from the reimbursement angle versus the gsa.gov, which may have an $84 limit per day. Right. That's a okay. great point, Kevin, and you're correct. And, yeah. and even the, the gross labor payroll definition document does call out, though, that even just because NEBF says we'll accept it, it's excluded based on, for example, what you said, not some, some list of what's acceptable. Contractors should be careful to check you know, that they're with the IRS regulation because mm-hmm. that trumps us. Contrary to NEBF, NEEP's a different animal because what we say about NEEP contribution, the NEEP trust document requires that every classification where NEEP is in an agreement must receive at least 25 cents an hour contribution minimum. Beyond that, it's up to the local parties to decide collectively in their collective bargaining. If the local parties say, we're going to go percentage of payroll, but we're going to exclude mandatory sick time by some state statute or otherwise, a municipal statute, if they say we're not going to pay or require NEEP on this or that, as long as that exception is legal, and and in every case we've seen it has been, we'll enforce to what the local parties tell us they want on the NEEP contract. It's up it's to be jointly agreed to and, and written down and signed. Correct. So it's quite different from NEBF, but the, you know, they get way, local parties have way more control of the NEEP contribution. Well, and that's where the, the clear dividing line is. And something that anybody listening or watching this needs to understand is with NEBF, the trustees control the contribution. With NEEP, the local parties do with the caveat that you mentioned, Larry, of the 25 cent minimum for all classifications in it. Very good information. I mean, when you consider NEBF, there's obviously the exclusions you talked about, that extraordinary bonus ones that seems to come up from time to time. And you'd be amazed at how many people either weren't aware of it or they forgot it or things like that. So added benefit of the podcast, if you're listening, you just got a refresher on that one, which is great. (laughs) Um, But as well as just understanding, I mean, how intricate this per diem issue is, that's what happens when you are essentially in a legitimate per diem situation. When you're not, Larry, how does NEBF and NEEP treat those? We convert that to payroll, call that pay, payroll, and require the 3% contribution on it. So, and that's why they delineated those three ways to get it done. 
Conversely, NEEP, again, that's going to go back to the local parties, because if we have an issue, and often we do with contributions on NEEP, contractor will say, hey, this is what we've agreed to. We just go back to the parties and say, you guys agree to this, whether it's an exception to NEEP or whatever, because they have the sole control, as long as it's legal, right, and, and legitimate, they control what that obligation is. So if the local party said, we're, we're going to exclude per diem, period, NEEP's not going to dive in and determine whether it's real or not. We're just going to say, that's a per diem payment, we're going to exclude it. Let's take that one step further now. We know we're dealing with an issue out in Salt Lake City. I had the honor to join some of the chapter members today. There's talk about exemptions to the FLSA, and that's really where a lot of this is getting tied in. If there's clear differences between the two with uh, our benefit payments, the issue talked about in per diems and in Ryan and Jeff's podcast is proper or improper. A proper payment, which would be exempted from the calculations for the regular rate of pay under the FLSA for overtime purposes would still be considered pay from the NEBF perspective, correct? Correct. That would be considered okay. payroll and subject to the 3%. Okay. So I just wanted to clarify that. Well, I'd say if it lands on a W-2, it's gross pay. I only bring that up because there's tentacles here that are connecting in some sides and not connecting in the other. And Ryan and Jeff have spoken on this time and time again to remind our contractors that you know, the regular rate of pay under the FLSA is not necessarily the regular rate of pay under your inside agreement. And those two could be different numbers. And I just want to bring that up too. And that while you may get an exemption from the FLSA, you're not getting the exemption from the NEBF. And just to clarify for uh, those that are listening in the scenario that Kevin is talking about, and I edited that entire podcast, you'd think I'd remember, but I don't believe we got into it uh, in an extreme depth. But just as a, a quick overview, what he's referring to is essentially not taking a per diem payment or not calling it a per diem payment, but making it an incentive to work overtime. So if the individual works more than eight hours in a day or 40 hours in a week, then they get X dollars, whatever it happens to be. But if they don't work it, then they don't receive it. And that's the very important part is they have to, there has to be a trigger to where they don't receive it. And as long as there's essentially a premium or a, uh, a goal they're trying to reach, which overtime is the goal, is if they work that overtime, then they get the money, then there is an exemption in the law for that for the reg from the regular rate of pay. Not to be confused with it being exempted from NEBF, because even though it's exempted from regular rate of pay, NEBF still considers it as payroll and therefore the three percent contribution would be owed on it. I want to dig in a little further since we're playing uh, Ask Larry here. I know I know NEEP uh, looks at it as the local parties control the contribution, but I want to throw a very common scenario at you. So in a situation where NEEP language is in a contract and the parties have worded the contribution as Y percent of gross labor payroll, would you guys then more or less default to how NEBF sees gross labor payroll if you find yourself in an audit situation? Or do you still do that very in-depth, what did the parties agree to type analysis? They say percentage of gross pay, that to us looks a lot like NEBF, 3% of gross pay, whatever percent they decide. However, and it's not uncommon, and I want to say this to the contracting community out there, we're not out to play gotcha. We have a lot of times where there's confusion between our auditor and the employer, what the employer is telling them, especially about need. We will always go back to the parties and say, what did you intend here? Sometimes it's subject to 
What did they intend? What do they mean by this? Because it's not always crystal clear, as you know. One of the craziest things you ever heard was, let's get it in writing so we all understand it. No, <laughs> right? So you'd be probably surprised at how many times we'll go back to the local business manager, chapter manager, and say, hey, we've got this contractor with his foot stuck in the door with us, and he's saying X, but we just want to confirm that's what you intended or that's what this language means. And most of the time, we say, yep, that's what we meant, and we walk away from it. You know, we say, oh, we got you. Because, again, they have the control there. And there's an occasional time where they don't agree. And that's where Larry has to say, we can't, by mandate, we can't be involved in the labor relations. You guys have to figure that out, labor management, and tell us what you mean or what you want, especially relative to need. And Larry, tying in that, uh, the, the steps that you take, I think it's important that we bring out in this discussion. And I, I've, I've worked with you for over 30 years on numerous issues, numerous times, uh, and certainly more so now than ever. The NEBF and the NEAP, when your auditors come in, talk a little bit about where NEBF and the auditors stand in terms of playing the gotcha game or not gotcha. I think it's important people understand this. Well, we, we started probably 10 years ago to monitor feedback from contractors, actually ask contractors to rate the audit and the auditor. And frankly, I'm surprised at how many contractors actually do it. And sometimes they'll compliment the auditor. Sometimes they'll say, you know, he was a, or she was a, whatever, fill in the blank, you know, pain in the rear. And based on that, what we determined very quickly was we needed to set up our own little charm school for auditors and tell them, look, we're going to hold you to a certain standard. First of all, when you show up in a contractor's shop, you're not welcome. You're a distraction. You're a pain in the butt. They have day jobs that they're trying to fulfill. So we want to be polite, professional, courteous, and, and listen and understand. So what happens now, based on that, and we tell them, if you can't play that way, you're not going to work for any BF or need. So anybody listening to this has an experience contrary. We're all ears to hear that. We always want that feedback. But so when the auditor's done, and, and let me say this to you too, this, this is probably a very important point, especially for employers. Auditors don't always understand the local collective arrangement, collective bargaining arrangement, agreements, understandings, interpretations. So they come in with a fixed mindset of what they believe the rules are. And like I said a little while ago, very often we have to get involved, we meaning executive staff, to get involved in that fray with the contractor, the local, and the chapter and say, all right, let's try. And I will tell you this, to that extent, we're not about the gotcha. Our mantra in, in the shop is if we can help that local union, if we can help that employer who's maybe has their foot caught in the door for some reason or another, we're going to do everything in our power to help mitigate that problem or eliminate that problem. And I think we've been effective at that. But, you know, anybody that's written a check on an audit, you know, may have a, an issue with that. But we're trying to present as a professional face as possible to the employer. And then once the audit's done, there'll be a review with that employer and the auditor. They can talk it out to say, look, here's what we found, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Contractor. And then they have a conversation. Oftentimes, that conversation is translated back to our shop to say, hey, we found the following. Here's what the employer is saying. We can sort through a lot of that very quickly. And again, sometimes it lands on, hey, there's a dispute here. Let's contact the local parties and resolve it. But we're always doing it with a tilt not to hurt a contractor, not to hurt anyone involved in the process, but to try to help them. I think it's important important for people to know that your background is from our industry. You were a chapter exec in, at the Pendell Jersey chapter. So, you know, you know all sides of this. 
operation of our industry. And you're not an outsider by any means. You're, you're quite the insider. And we appreciate all you do for us. Thank um, you. Keeping us going. Very much so. Uh, something that we really haven't talked about, and I'm just going to spend just a minute here, is your local fringe benefits, so your local pensions, your local health plans. We can't fully comment on those. The advice that I could give you is if you find yourself in a situation where you're dealing with a potentially an improper per diem or you're, you're discussing any of this and how it relates to your local funds, first and foremost, check your trust documents. Talk to your local council and, and get this figured out with them. In general, what you can expect is if you have a fund that is on gross payroll, it's probably going to be similar to how the NEBF looks at it. It's most likely if it's not a proper per diem, it's going to find its way into the wage and there's going to be potential fringe benefits owed on that. Not 100%. Check your local documents. If it's on hours worked, in most cases, per diems, even improper ones, won't really do much to that because they don't really impact the hours the individuals are working. Again, same proviso. Check your trust documents. Talk to your local attorneys. What we're here to address today is what we can address, which is the NEBF and NEEP. And I do know a lot of your local funds will reach out to uh, Larry sometimes to see how they look at that to kind of help guide their decisions locally. So if you are listening to this and you're a trustee on one of your funds and you guys are dealing with an issue like this, hopefully this has been uh, helpful to you guys. And just in general, I mean, there is a lot of good advice for our contractors, not just on per diems. We got into talking a little bit about what it's like when the NEPF comes in and audits and all of those different uh, items. So. Again, I really appreciate uh, you guys doing that. We have pretty well made our way through this issue. I'm sure the emails and the questions uh, on per diems and on this topic are not going to stop, and they shouldn't. We should continue to address these with our chapters and with our contractors and continue to provide advice. Uh, But hopefully this podcast will provide a little bit more information, a little bit more clarity, uh, especially when it comes to how the NEBF and how NEEP look at this. I want to take just a moment here and say thank you to Kevin and thank you to Larry for coming on and lending your knowledge today. It's it's greatly appreciated. I uh, really appreciate you guys taking some time out of your busy schedules to come on and, and talk about this this incredibly important topic. It is. Before I sign off today, I do want to hand it back to Larry. Do you have any closing comments you'd like to make? I do. I would like to tell you a quick story as a former chapter manager in Pendel, Jersey, Philadelphia area. When I was there, we had 15 local unions that we did business with. The big one was Philadelphia itself proper. And back then, we used to negotiate memorandums of understanding for seasonal and temporary workers, particularly over the summer, right? Not at all uncommon. And uh, it was kind of like acted like a pre-apprentice program. We got a free look and so did the kid get a free look at the industry. Well, I wrote a memo back then as a chapter manager and I said, no fringe benefits will be paid on these people, (laughs) period. And I got a call from NEBF telling me, listen, you can't do that. I said, the heck I can't. I just did. You're reading it. I said, no, no, no. You can control your local trust with your local parties and, and dictate that. To your point, Ryan, that the nexus isn't really there necessarily, because I often hear people say, well, no, our, our agreement says we don't have to pay any BF or we don't have to pay NEEP on this or that. Well, NEEP's different. Any BF on that. They can't, local parties, and I know only too well because I violated it myself as a chapter <laughs> manager and got cold on the carpet for it. 
Then I went down and became his boss, but that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> but it still didn't change anything. So I, what I'm saying is these podcasts are great ideas because people generally, like I as a chapter manager, which I thought I knew everything, and I thought I was in my rights to say you don't pay any fringes on this. I didn't know I could not speak for the National Fund, the NABF, and I learned it the hard way. So what I'm saying is I ate my own cooking, right? I, I, I understand when this happens, and I want people to know we're here to help. People say to me all the time, I ain't going to call you. You're too busy. Call me. Reach out yeah. to me. If I can help interpret, pre and, and other people think if I expose my problem, you're going to come after me. No, I'm not. Most people come to me and say, hey, I want to ask you a question. I have this friend of mine, right? <laughs> yeah, we have nice. a conversation. So we can talk things out. We're, we're not here to hurt. We're here to help. So just want people to know that. I, I made the same agreement. Back back in North Florida chapter, and uh, I got called by that gentleman right there saying, "No, you don't." And I had the same response. I said, "I just did." <laughs> no, you don't. I think yeah. uh, you two guys have touched on a, a topic that I just came up with for a future podcast. I want to gather some of our uh, industry, more seasoned folks in our industry, and the title or the topic of the podcast will be lessons you learned the hard way. <laughs> got a long think, list. Yeah, long I, list. I believe yeah, I can add a, probably a book on that. Yeah. <laughs> I could add a couple myself. Larry, thank you for the story and thank you for the comments. Kevin, did you have anything you wanted you wanted to add in before no, we finish? I just uh, I thank you to Larry also for both coming on the podcast and and being a friend to our industry and supportive of our industry and and uh, I know deep down everything that you you're working on be on our behalf. We appreciate it. You're, you're a, a constant advocate for our industry. We appreciate it very much. And thank you, Ryan, for putting all this together. It's a great series you got going. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Uh, well, all the thanks to you guys. Couldn't do this without having you guys here. Again, to our listeners, viewers, so I haven't quite figured out what to call everyone yet. There's got to be a, a single term out there. One day I'll stumble on it. Uh, They're your fans, you. Ryan. They're all your fans. Oh, uh, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but thank you for listening, for watching. Uh, it's, it's always greatly appreciated. You just heard me talk a little bit about a potential future topic I have. I throw this back to you guys as well. If there's a topic you want us to cover, if there's something you want us to kind of dive into and have a discussion about, or there's something you want to come on and talk about yourself, the door is always open. Reach out to me. We'll get something put together. It's super easy, not very painful on you guys' side. I didn't even charge Larry all that much money uh, to be here. It was the normal fee. Yeah. So, <laughs> but again, just, just let me know. Uh, but thank you again to Larry and to Kevin. And I hope everybody really got some uh, benefit from this and I will definitely see you guys on the next one. Have a great day. <laughs>